Masters. Um, did you ever watch that growing up as a kid? I never did. We didn't have a TV, so, but I, later on in my lifetime, I was able to watch some of those episodes. He always brought some kind of a thing to show and tell. And so I thought I would bring my briefcase this morning to show you what I have in my briefcase, just in case you ever were curious or wanted to know what I have in here, we're about to find out. Now, unlike what my briefcase says, I don't have a case full of briefs. That's not what is in here. But I do have a zipper up here in the front. I have a couple books that I like to use from time to time. This first book is the New Testament that was given to me by Dwayne Harsparger. You remember Dwayne? And so long before he passed away, he gave me this New Testament Bible. And I like to carry this when I go to nursing homes because it fits in my pocket real easy and I can take it in and, and serve communion and different things like that. Then another book that's very helpful uh, to young preachers especially, and I can't even read it, something about a Christian minister's manual. And so I was given this back in 2006 before I moved up here. And it has poems, it has how to conduct yourselves in weddings and funerals and uh, just how to, you're supposed to be as a, as a preacher. And so this was a very important uh, book as well. And then over in this big part of my briefcase, I have a couple of very important things. I have a church directory, which you all have one of those, don't you? I have a church calendar. I always like to look up and see whose birthday it is and uh, what's going on for the month. And then I have this book here, which is what I write all my sermons in. Now this book is kind of old. This used to be my dad's book. And my dad's been gone for probably 25 years now. I still even have his own mechanical pen or pencil that he used to use all the time. And so I still have that in this. And so this is probably close to 30 years old. And so I write all of my sermons in that book. And then the most important book that you'll ever have in your briefcase is a Bible. And so I bought this Bible a couple of years ago. And so this is the things I have in my briefcase. And so our theme this week, or this month actually, is, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And so we are trying to impress upon you the importance of us sharing the gospel with our neighbors, with those people around us. And so Levi started off last week, as you can remember, talking about how we are to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul, and then we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so today we are going to talk about something that's kind of the elephant in the room. Doors. We're going to talk about doors this morning. Now I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm pretty well plugged in to the social networking that we have going on today. Not really. But there's Snapchat, there's Instagram, there's uh, Facebook, there's... I don't know what's out there exactly. But the biggest debate here in recent time on the internet has been this. You ready? Here's the biggest debate on the internet. What is there more of in the world? Doors or wheels? You've got to think about that for a while. I was going to count the doors in this building, but I forgot to do it. Is there more doors in the world, or is there more wheels? So that's been the big debate going on on the internet here recently, but we're not going to talk about so much that. I want to talk about doors this morning. 
Jesus says in John chapter 10 and verse number 9, he says, I am the door. If anyone comes through me, he will be saved. That's pretty plain, isn't it? That kind of does away. If Jesus says, I am the door, and through me you will be saved, doesn't that do away with every other religious body in the world that does not worship Jesus Christ as their Savior? I mean, we make it so difficult in the religious world that we live in today, but Jesus said just one thing, if you want to be saved, you must come through me. There's all kinds of doors in the world today. There are some wide doors, there are some narrow doors, but Jesus says there is only one way, and that's the narrow way. So I would like to turn off this return this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 as we start this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul talks about doors. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 5 beginning this morning. Paul is the author of this book and so this is the one that is talking here. He says, now I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are now many adversaries. Paul talked about a great, effective door that was opened to him. Now just to give you a little bit of background about Paul at this time, Paul has basically been traveling nonstop for the last eight years. He went through his first missionary journey. He went through his second missionary journey. He is now making his third trip, kind of stopping by and seeing some of the, the co congregations that he started to see how they are doing. So I'm sure that Paul was physically wore out. He was physically exhausted. I mean, nowadays we can be almost anywhere in the world in a 24-hour period, can't we? I mean, uh, Mike has lived over in Australia. I don't know how many hours it took to get there by airplane. How many? 23, 23 hours. So in 23 hours, you can be across the world. How long do you think it would have took Paul to travel by ship or by boat to get to that place? It would have been months probably. So here he is, he's exhausted, he's tired, he's wore out. Not only that, he is starting churches, he is being persecuted. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he talks about being uh, stricken, he, he was stoned, he was left for dead, he was hidden by rods, he was uh, beaten 39 times. I mean, all of these things are happening to Paul. But he says in verse number 8, I am going to tarry in Ephesus. He did tarry for about three years. He was there for about three years. And he did so because he said, I have a great and effective door that has been opened 
to me. He stays in this one place more than any other by far. But when you think about Ephesus, Ephesus wasn't the greatest place to be. I would kind of refer to it as Sin City. And we have one of those today, don't we? Las Vegas is called Sin City, isn't it? I mean, they have legalized prostitution in Las Vegas. And they had that here in Ephesus as well. They had legalized prostitution. They was morally bankrupt. They worshipped a goddess named Diana. And that was so terrible what they would do. Instead of having priests, they would have priestess. They would have women. Men would come in and worship Diana by having sex with these priestess. And if they ever uh, became pregnant, they would sacrifice that baby to that god. They had done some archaeology digs in recent times, and they found some clay jars that were buried around this temple with bones still in them. They were morally bankrupt. But Paul says, there's been a great effective door open to me. So Paul saw a door of opportunity. These people were very heavily into witchcraft, into superstition. They believed in magic, and that was basically their guide for life. There are people that are like that today, aren't there? They have, um, what do you call that? It used to be the newspaper all the time, the horoscope. And then they would ask you, what sign are you? I think I'm a Leo, I'm not for sure. I was born in August. And so oh, Leo was like, ooh, tough. And then, oh, I'm just little whatever the other 11 are. And so people would just, they would base their whole lifestyle on what their horoscope says. And that is no different than what Ephesus was doing. But again, Paul saw something different. Paul saw a great, effective, open door. So it's really all on how we see things, isn't it? It's all perspective. I've seen something recently that went like this. A pessimist sees a problem in every opportunity. An optimist sees an opportunity with every problem. It's all perspective, isn't it? You can look at Ephesus and say, wow, that is a disgusting, terrible, horrible city. And Paul says, they need Jesus. And we can do that today. We can look at the, the drunk that's in the gutter. We can say, man, that is a sick individual. He deserves to die. Or you can look at him and say, that drunk needs Jesus. It's all perspective, isn't it? It's all on how we look at things. Are we looking at things in a physical way, or are we looking at things in a spiritual way? And so Paul was really the ultimate uh, missionary. We're here in 1 Corinthians. Just go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse number 22. Listen to what Paul says that, that he did to help people see the light. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partakers of it with you. Paul says, I become all things to all men, that I may win them over to the gospel. 
Now, I've heard people take that and take it way out of context. I'm going to go down to the bar tonight and don't drink a beer with those guys down there because I want to be all things to all men. Maybe they can, I can talk about Jesus while we're down there drinking. I don't think Paul necessarily meant that. But Paul, he was all things to all men. Paul was a tent maker. Whenever things needed to be done physically, he was there to be able to help him, uh, other people. Paul was a preacher. Paul was a teacher. He was all things to all men. And so we can do all kinds of things. It doesn't have to be necessarily book, chapter, and verse all the time. But we can do things to encourage people to become Christians. When Shirley's family moved into our area back in, I think it was 1988, and you know how they started coming to church? I think this is right. Tommy Johnson was our preacher, and somehow he got a hold of Shirley's dad. Uh, They was in the hardware store buying parts. Her dad had a plumbing issue, and Tommy said, hey, I can help you with that. And so Tommy went back to Shirley's dad's house, helped him with plumbing. The whole time that they was there working together, he was talking to him about coming to church, and the next Sunday they were there. Isn't that amazing how things work? We don't have to take our Bible and smack people upside the head with them. We need to show them what a Christian looks like. Hey, I can help you with that. Hey, you need a problem there, uh, lady? You got to... The thing at Walmart is, is two feet above your head and you can't reach it. Can I help you with that? Man, that thing is so high, uh, Jesus is up there. You know, you can say something like that to, to talk to them about, about Jesus and, and the church. And so we can do all these things. It all depends on our attitude. We have to be willing to spread the word no matter where we are or no matter where we go. Look what happens in Acts chapter 8. And this isn't the only verse that this happens. But Acts chapter 8, uh, I did this several years ago, but I, in my Bible in the book of Acts, every time there was a verse about the church growing, I put a big G next to that for growth. Almost every verse that the book of Acts talks about growth, guess what there is next to it? Persecution. And I wonder if that's made part of our problem today. We aren't being persecuted enough. But look what it says here in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. What happened? Why were they being scattered? We'll go back and look at verse 8. Saul was making havoc of the church. He was entering houses, and he was dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And the church says, man, we need to go in hiding. We need to go down into a cave and just hide, and and hopefully after a couple of days or a couple of weeks, that Saul will be gone. No, no. They scattered everywhere, and they continued to preach the word of God. Paul saw a door of opportunity. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, not only did Paul see an opportunity, but Paul also saw a door of obligation. Look what he says here in verse uh, number 9. See if you caught this the first time. 
In verse 9, he says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Paul said, this door is open for me. He didn't say it was open for Timothy. He didn't say it was open to Barnabas. He didn't say it was open to someone else who lived in Ephesus. He said, this great door has been opened for me to walk through and present the gospel to those people in Ephesus that really, really need it. We can do everybody else's work we must all share the gospel wherever we are. I don't know if you remember this, but two or three weeks ago now when we had Missionary Sunday, and Sunday night we had Dodger was here. Remember Dodger? And he was from uh, the Ohio University. And he came up here and he said something that really struck me. He said, there's a problem that happens with kids that it's their first year in college they have about seven or eight different communities that they are in. And then when they come down to school, all seven or eight of those communities are gone and they don't know what to do. He said they have a community of family. They have a community of friends. They have a community of being on the baseball team or the softball team or, or in Girl Scouts or in Boy Scouts. They have a community of working uh, a job somewhere. They have all those different circles of people that they are in. And then they move three or four hours down to the university, and all of a sudden, all of those things are gone. And they don't know what to do. Or maybe even worse, they'll turn to some other people that have a negative influence on them. And so what he said was is that they need to take some of those communities with them. If you're a part of the church here, you need to go with your uh, soon-to-be freshman in college and find a church for them there so that they have a community of Christians that they can go and worship with. And they'll have people that will be there to support them. So he helps them do that there at the school. And so that is something that we need to consider. Did you ever think about the community or different groups of people that you are a part of and the influence that you can have on them? We have a community here. If you work, you're in a community of, of people that you work with. When I worked at Delta Fawcett uh, 16 years ago, there was 1,200 people there. I didn't know every single one of them, but I knew quite a few. And so if you're on the baseball team, or if you play for Sydney Electric downtown, you have a community of people that you are familiar with. If you're at Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or whatever the case may be, you have a group of people that you are with, and the thing that you need to do is to be a positive influence to each and every one of those communities. I was curious, and I think this number is low, but I got on the internet and typed in how much does the average person, how many people does the average person know? And I think this number is low, but the number that spit out at me was 600. Every single person in this room knows 600 people, and I think it's more than that. You know, I got my phone, I got 200 and some people in my phone. 
of phone numbers. And so if Aaron is just say there's 50 of us here this morning, we have 30,000 people at our disposal that we know personally that we need to be telling them about Jesus. 30,000. If we just take, what, 1%, that's 300 people. If we just convert 1% of 30,000, that's 300. We would have to go build a new building. We would be building a new building out there in that, that five-acre or whatever acre lane that we have over there. And so what kind of influence are we having on the people that we personally know? There's been other Gallup polls and so forth that says if you send the preacher to go invite somebody to church, they typically won't come. You invite them to church, and they will come. And so it's not just upon me, or not just upon the leadership, it's every single one of us here, we need to be a positive influence on those people that we are around. Do we talk to them about Jesus? You're with people at work at least eight hours a day. Are you talking to them about Jesus? Do they know that you're a Christian? Would they know? If you die tomorrow when they read your obituary, will they be surprised that you was a member of the North Broadway Church of Christ? I never knew so-and-so went to church. You sure couldn't tell by the way they acted here. I mean, I told them a dirty joke the other day, and they laughed and thought it was funny, and they told somebody else about it. I mean, we're, we can gain our influence or we can lose our influence depending on how we act around people that we know. God has given us an open door, but do we walk through it? Remember what Isaiah says, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8? God was looking out. Let me, let's go back and read that because I'm going to mess up if I try to, try to quote it. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8. Once you hear it, you'll know it. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Is that your attitude? You know, I've been pretty good friends with so-and-so at work. I'm going to make sure that I say something to him today about what Jesus did for him. I know he's having a rough time right now. I know uh, that something's going on in his life. He needs Jesus. And I'm going to make sure I share that with him today. God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah said, Lord, here I am. Send me. But just like anything else, as we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, in verse number 9, Paul saw a door of opportunity. He saw a door, a door of obligation. But along with that comes a door of opposition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the last part of verse 9, Paul says, There has been many adversaries. Aren't you glad that Paul never gave up? How would the Bible look? How would the world look at that time if Paul would have threw in the towel 
or put out the white flag and say, I can't take it. Man, they beat me last night within an edge of my life. I'm done. I don't deserve this. How would, it, how would we have been today if Paul would have been that way? Yes, we're going to receive persecution. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 says, Yes, everyone who lives godly will be persecuted. It's going to happen. Expect it. Be ready for it. That's the most important thing to do. You know that you know it's going to come, and so be prepared for it. Be ready. Don't give up. You've got to look through it and say, hey, I know that my God is faithful, and I know this is just a little hiccup in my life. I'm going to get through it. I'm going to be stronger, and I'm going to continue to serve the Almighty God. There is nothing that's going to separate me from the love of God. It seemed like Paul said something like that. There is nothing that can separate me from the love of God. Acts chapter 19 and verse number 24, we can see something else here about Ephesus that kind of goes along perfectly with uh, what Paul says here. Acts chapter 19, when it comes to some opposition, remember that temple of Diana? And there was a man, <clears throat> Demetrius, that was a silversmith. He basically made idols of Diana and different things like that. And so when Paul comes on the scene and he's changing lives, he's converting people from this false god to the one true god, Demetrius all of a sudden comes up with the problem. I'm losing some money here. And it's all because of Paul. And so let's pick up the story in Acts chapter 19 in verse number 24. There was a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana and brought no small profit to the craftsmen. He galled them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, Men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. He said, listen guys, we're losing tons of money. Paul is converting people, and in the word there is many people. Paul has converted many people to Jesus, and our occupation is suffering from this. we got to do something. And I guess that's how you know that you're doing something right. And I thought about that here recently with the, um, the media that you see on TV. If the media is saying something against somebody or something, that's probably who you should be for, right? Because the media does the exact opposite of what Christianity really is all about. And that's what they were doing here. They were, they were speaking against Paul. They were trying to get people to, to turn against him because they were losing money. And they were opposing what Paul was saying. 
But as I was writing this sermon, and I had to look in the mirror at this, I think the biggest opposition to the gospel being spread is not its enemies, but it's the Christians who refuse to do anything. And that puts Brent on the front table. I don't do enough. But if we expect the world to change, if we expect the United States to change, if we expect Sydney, Ohio to change, it's going to start with us, isn't it? And in the, in the Bible, there's a couple definitions of sin. One definition of sin is missing the mark. But another definition of sin is in the book of James. He who knows to do good but does not do it, to him it is what? Sin. We call that the sin of omission. And I wonder if most of us Christians fall short in that category. The sin of omission. Well, I'm too embarrassed to tell people at work about Jesus. I, I'm too shy to go knock on a door. What would I tell people when they answer the door? I'm scared to death. My knees will knock together. And that happens with me. But we have to be bold. We have to be able to do what Jesus did. Aren't you glad that Jesus wasn't embarrassed of you or me when he hung on the cross naked? I'm glad that Jesus wasn't embarrassed. And so we have an obligation to serve the Almighty God. As we conclude this morning, doors, all kinds of doors, are going to swing open all the time. It's just up to us to recognize when it happens, and we need to make sure that we take advantage of that. And one way that we can truly open doors is to improve our relationships that we have with people who are not Christians. Because again, you know 600 people, and those 600 people ought to be your mission field this morning. Those people ought to be the ones that you say, hey, I'm going to do all I can to make sure that those people become Christians. And again, I don't think I'm out of step here by saying, maybe pick one or two of your friends people that you truly love, people that you are really close to, and make it your goal this year to convert that one person to Jesus. If we did that, we're out there building again. Because all of a sudden we have 100, 120 people in this building. If just every single one of us converts one person to Jesus this year, can we do it? I think we can. It starts with prayer, doesn't it? It starts with us having the right mindset. It continues with us being bold and, and having the courage to go and to talk to people. There are people that need Jesus. There are people that are looking for answers. And we have the answer, don't we? Oh, I pray for boldness every day. I really do. God, give me courage. Give me boldness to talk to people when I see the need and the opportunity to do so. And man, we could change the world one person at a time.